Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, it's good to be with you. I'm excited to be with you today, okay? Uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. If this is your first time, uh, we hope you'll uh, get something out of today and uh, be able to change your life from it as well. We've been in a series uh, called The Twelve. We're looking at the Twelve Apostles. I don't know how many of you have been watching The Chosen, but uh, there's a lot of lot of good stuff in that series as well. I was Googling uh, this week uh, the most hated people in the world. I don't know, you ever done that? I, I typed in the most hated people in the world. And I was expecting to see people like, well, let's see, Adolf Hitler. I mean, you're you know, right. Charles Manson. Um, maybe a politician. Notice I didn't say which one. Because... <laughs> They're in that list, of course. Maybe Bill Cosby was somebody that crossed your mind. Or maybe Amber Heard recently. It's possible. Lots of different people uh, that made this list. Vanity Fair had an article that was called The Most Punchable Hated Person in the World. I heard somebody the other day say, Your face is so slappable right now. That was a wife saying that to a husband. And I thought, Wow. And so what, who could be the most punchable guy, uh, in the world? Well, is, is, he's known as, uh, Pharma Bro, Martin, uh, Screlly. And if you know anything about Martin Screlly, you know he's the guy that raised this life-saving drug, drug for HIV positive people, uh, from $17 to over $750. It was a 4,000% increase in this particular drug. He served several years in prison over it and was ordered by the court to pay $64 million back. Now, who would you say is the most punchable person of the 12? I mean, think about that for a minute. I know, well, last week, it's got to be Judas. Uh, I don't think so. When you start looking at these 12 fellows, you find out it's it's a tax collector by the name of Matthew. Anybody here ever been audited? Anybody? Real? Raise your hand if you have. How many of you have been audited more than once? Keep that hand up. Twice? More than twice? More than three times? Frank, you've been audited three times? I've been audited five times. It's not an honor that I really... I don't know what it is, but man, uh, I'm thinking, am I, I'm doing the work. I'm keeping good records, you know, but they still keep coming at me trying to find something. Well, I just think about, you know, uh, the idea of those that work for the IRS. Another thing I was looking at just before church was, what is the most hated job in America? Or what's, what jobs do you find the most unethical in America? I love the ones most unethical. It starts the top 20, the ones that the, the, the bottom of the list take the most ethics and have a reputation for being ethical. And as you creep up the list, you see the decreasing uh, of character and the, the nurses and doctors are the the most ethical people on the planet car salesmen are not they're rated way up there uh, lawyers mm, i've heard say you want to find a good lawyer you find him about six feet under i don't know what that joke means not really i don't i know some lawyers i know some good ones and i know some that are not quite so good too maybe you do too but as you as you look at the most hated jobs in America of the of the top ten, right in the middle is a tax collector of the IRS, those that work for the IRS, that wonderful 
service department of government that we all have cherished and loved since the 16th Amendment was passed, since 19 uh, or 1913 or somewhere in there. Um, Jerry Seinfeld said this one time about the IRS. He said, the IRS? Huh. Well, they're like the mafia. They can take anything they want. And it's true. They, that's amazing how much power these people have. So why in the world is a tax collector in the small group of Jesus? Why would he even want someone like that? It, he's despised by everybody. Uh, if you've watched The Chosen, you catch the tension between Matthew and everyone else that's in this group. Why would he choose someone like that? I think he's choosing someone like that. There's a reason he's doing that, but one of the reasons is to benefit and help us understand how the Lord feels about people, about you, about me. Let me give you three values or three principles that we can learn from this despicable disciple named Matthew, okay? I know the memes movie's out. I'm excited. I can't wait to go see it. And so, despicable me. Well, here's a, here's the, here's a classic. This is no cartoon. This is a real guy. What are the three principles that we can learn from this despicable disciple? Well, he teaches me this. Number one, no matter who I am, Jesus wants me. He wants me. Look what the Bible says here in Matthew 9. Matthew is recording this. It's interesting. When you, if you were going to write about yourself, would you mention you were a tax collector? The most, one of the most despised, despicable people in the community? Matthew has, he wants us, wants you and I to know this. He records it in his own gospel. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. In other words, he noticed him. He focused on him. Much like another tax collector named Zacchaeus. He saw him. And he valued him. He's sitting at the tax collector's booth. There's two types of tax collectors at this time. There's the guys that work behind the scenes. They're in the office somewhere. And they, they kind of enforce and make sure the laws, the typical, typical Roman common taxable laws are in place. And then you have those that sit amongst the community at a tax collector's booth. They're high profile guys. They're the guys that are a little, they're crooked. And they're collecting face to face with the citizens and they're getting nothing but business from these guys. I mean, they're getting hassled. And look what he says as he sees him at the tax collector's booth, right in the middle of what he's doing. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. I bet, man, I don't, this job sucks, man. Anything's got to be better. You want me? I'm in. And you can see that. You know, Matthew, you know what the Matthew, Matthew, uh, the word means or the name means? I named one of our sons Matthew, and it happens to mean gift of God. Nathan means gift from God. Matthew means gift of God. And that's how Jesus saw Matthew, this guy who has two names, Levi and Matthew. He sees him as a gift. Now, the rest of the world... They didn't see Matthew as a gift from God. They saw him as a curse from Rome. Man, Roman Roman tax collectors were so hated, so despised. I don't know if we can identify with the Roman government, but the Roman government taxed everything. Income. Yeah. Roads. Sales tax. If uh, If you sold something, the mail, 
how many axles you had on your cart? Can you? I thought that was a semi thing, you know, a semi drivers. How many axles do you have? I got two. Oh, well, let's look at this chart here. You owe us this much. They taxed everything. Did you know during the reign of Vespasian, they even taxed urine? You've got to be kidding me. No, it was valuable. And where, where they, and when everybody would collect, these people would collect the urine from the public restrooms, the Romans had a tax on that. I don't know if we have that in America yet. If you ever wonder, but isn't that something? They taxed everything. And because of that, you were constantly getting hit with taxes. Right now, I think we're, I think the tax, in Roman time, the tax rate was as much as 33%. I can't, I don't even know what it is in America right now. Is it, anybody have an idea? Shout it out with, with tears. How much is it? 37%. So we kind of understand. You guys want more taxes? Hello? No! No, we don't want more taxes. Did you know the Roman government was, the, 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 they taxed the people so much that people would go, they would go fight the enemies of Rome because of the taxes. Trying to overthrow the government. It was just, it was awful. And so to be a Jew who collected taxes for Rome, oh my goodness. Why, that was the worst of the worst. A Jew that would, Matthew, for example, because he worked for the Roman government to collect taxes off the Jews, was not allowed to be in the temple, was not allowed to offer sacrifices, could not go to the synagogue, which is the church building. He couldn't go to church. He wasn't to give testimony in court. Uh, we have Matthew as a, as a witness. They say hit uh, disregard whatever he has to say. The Talmud, the Talmud would say this about a tax collector. It's OK to lie to them because they deserve it. Man, that's what you some of you lie on your income tax. Hmm. Well, the Talmud may support that. And yet the one, Jesus, who sees into the hearts of men, sees something in Matthew no one else can see. He sees the gift in him, the value in him. He wants him. He wants him and asks him to follow. Oh, Jesus, this is going to hurt your ministry to have somebody like that in your of your 12, right? Not at all. That's because this is what my ministry is about, Tim. It's about wanting despised people. Let's, I'm going to say it again. Jesus is about wanting despised people. That's challenging. Stop and think about it for a minute, church. It says in Mark 3, he went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. You see, Jesus Jesus didn't choose by some consolation like, well, you know, I, I can't get him and I can't get him and I can't. I guess I'll settle for second best or here's my my plan B. You know, plan A included plan B. It included all the plans. He wanted these guys and the, it's interesting, the Bible says that he called those he wanted and they came to him. They wanted him back. 
And you see his choice, church, listen to this very closely. His choice reflects how he feels about people and about you. I don't know where you are this morning. Some of you uh, I don't get to speak to sometimes for several weeks. I don't know where you are, the latest thing that's going on in your life. Only a few of you I get to talk to uh, if, uh, this morning. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus Christ wants you. He wants you. And look, look at the twelve. Let's read the list of the twelve again. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. Matthew is right there. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, who would betray him. Jesus chooses who he wants. Do these guys have it all together? No. They don't have it all together. And it, and, and I want you to know, it doesn't matter to Jesus that they have it all together. In fact, I think, I get the impression that Jesus wants us to understand something. He wants us to, He wants people out in the community that follow Him as an illustration of a work in progress. Not perfect people. He wants the world to see this person doesn't have all together and they depend on the Lord and they're slowly changing. Just for my sake, I'm going to say this. Hypocrisy is a stumbling block to people. Inconsistency is not. And the sooner we admit, I messed up, the sooner we can admit I'm not perfect. The sooner we can admit, I didn't see that. The world's the, the, the quicker the world's going to be impressed by our message. It's when we try to come across like we've got it all figured out, like we're better than everybody. That's when it gets us in trouble. Because we're not. Because, see, Jesus wants them as much as he wants me. I know no one else may want you. No no one else may think that you're worth messing with. They may look at you as high maintenance or, or a high risk person. But Jesus sees you and I just as we are and says, I want you. I want to work with you. I want to use you. I want to love you. I mean, you are the reason. You and I are the reason he came in the first place. Look what he says here in Luke 5. My purpose is to invite sinners to turn from their sins. Not to spend my time with those who think themselves already good enough. Why'd you come, Lord? Because I want people. And I want despicable people too. Here's the thought I had occurred to me that, uh, last night as I was just thinking about this. What am I, how am I going to say this? What are we, what, what are we, how are we going to cover this guy named Matthew? And this thought struck me. It was a very challenging thought. As a church of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what you and I do with despicable people matters. And what, listen, what you and I do with the despicable people He chooses. What are you talking about, Tim? I'm talking about the people in our congregation. What do you and I do with the people? Jesus says, I've chosen them. I've selected them. 
And one time Jesus was asked this question. He was asked this question. Let's see. What's the greatest commandment? And and uh, the answer was, well, the greatest commandment is to and Jesus said this to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. He said that to a crowd. But when he's with his disciples, remember what he says to his disciples in John? He says, a new commandment I give you. He says this to the disciples. That's you and me, followers. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. The whole world will know you're really my followers if you'd love like that. You see, I can't just love people like I love myself because I don't do a very good job of loving myself. I need Jesus to show me how to love people. And he, he chooses despicable people. Like I said before, the chosen really captures this idea. You got Matthew and the tension between him and the rest of the, of the, the eleven. You see that played out. Matthew is very educated. By the way, all the, when it said the Bible says they were unschooled and ordinary men, it doesn't mean they were stupid people. It just means they just weren't educated. Most of the men of the twelve were educated till about thirteen and then they were cut loose and they were working. They learned how to read a little. And write their name a little bit. Matthew, he got educated even more. Being a tax collector, you had to know a lot of stuff. And so he was, he was privy to all kinds of information. He understood numbers. He understood record keeping. He, it's believed he knew four different languages. He could speak four different languages. You had to to be a tax collector at that time. Very gifted. Maybe a little OCD. Now, don't look at anybody that you, when you think of OCD people, but they're a little detailed. They got to keep all the columns and everything has got to be reconciled. You know anybody like that? I have people in my family. If the checkbook's off, I'm not mentioning her by name. If the checkbook is off by 10 cents, she is, the mascara is running till she finds the answer. I gotta find that 10 cents. It's okay. To, no, no, you don't understand. We gotta find it. And she finds it. This is the kind of guy Matthew is. He's quirky. He's strange at times. He's not the most ethical guy. And don't we find those to be the hardest to love? The hardest to want to be around? I'll I'll say something safe. None of us ever say, hey, I'm going to call the guy who's just sold me a car and have lunch with him. Let's go out and eat. We're going on vacation. Would you like to tag along? No. No, there's something about this guy that it rubs people the wrong way. And the great thing about it is, is that Jesus wants him. Listen, church, I want to say it this way. I am so excited and grateful that Jesus wants me. Aren't you? I'm just so excited about that. But I wonder sometimes if I'm as excited, if I'm as grateful with anyone else he wants. Oh, ouch. Because he wants, he, he says, Tim, I picked guy like this so you could learn too. This is the way it's supposed to be around me. This is the way it's supposed to be when a group of you in my name are together. You see, 
Why? Because no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus wants you. Here's the second thing I notice. There's a follower deep inside every one of us. They say you can't judge a book by its cover and appearances can be deceiving. Is that true? Always is. Some of the people that I've talked to people that I thought would, they've been in knife fights. They have the scars to prove it. And talking to them about Christ and they want to follow. And they were the last person in the world I thought would want to follow Jesus. Look what the Bible says here in Mark 2. As he walked along, he saw Levi. This is Matthew, by the way, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told hold him. And Levi got up and followed him. Like I told you, Matthew's a very educated guy. And here he is face to face at this booth, collecting taxes and, and probably raising the taxes a little bit and lining his own pockets at the same time. It was an awful job. He can't be happy with it. And there's got to be some, I, I get the impression, the reason he gets up and follows Jesus so quickly is there's something missing and he, he doesn't know quite what it is, but it's just in there, some spiritual void. And he's overheard Jesus speak because they're in Capernaum. He's, he can overhear him talking about the, the, his teachings and he has to be going, listening to that, maybe not paying attention to what he's doing so much. But he quickly responds to the master's call. I didn't know this. Levi means the word, the name Levi. It means to be joined together, to be connected. You see, Levi was that was his Jewish name. It's believed that maybe Matthew was what the name Jesus gave him to say, look, I know everybody thinks you're a curse, but you're really a gift. You're a gift from your creator. But this idea of Levi, and Mark write, records him that way, he, he, he's saying the man who's supposed to be connected is sitting at the tax collector's booth. I don't know where your connection, where you find your, you know, who you are and what do you do? How do you answer that question? What's your name? What do you do for a living? I bet you following Jesus is not the, the, the way you say it. I put in glass. I work in an office. I set stuff up. I, I, uh, I, I work in insurance. I work in sales. I, we say it that way. That's our connection to who we are. Levi's, who he really is, he is someone who's to be connected with God. That's what he's supposed to be. And he's connected more to his job than he is with the Lord. And when the Lord calls him, he lives up to this name. The reason I say this is because the Lord, the Lord doesn't judge Levi by, uh, his appearance. Oh, he looks like he's really involved in what he's doing and wouldn't have time to follow me. He's more connected and really joined to that more than he is would be anything else. And I couldn't help but start thinking about this. A lot of times, my lack of invitation, and maybe you'll find this to be true as you, as well, that the lack of inv- inviting people around us may have something to do with this idea that we see people what they appear to be and and we don't see that follower deep down inside them. I know there's a couple of reasons why uh, I don't invite. Sometimes it's uh, because simply the timing is off. 
I'm not there or, you know, timing keeps us from doing things like that. But the, the other one is the, where I start assuming that, well, this person would not want what I'm asking them. This person would not be interested in what I've, I've got to talk about. And see, the truth is, folks, I don't know. I don't know where people are. I used to sit in church and the preacher, if he looks at me, he knows what I'm up to. No, he don't. He's just looking. And listen, we don't, we, nobody has this secret of reading into the hearts of people. You and I don't know what our family is, what's going through their mind. Many times. Our friends. Strangers. And it's so easy to judge a person just by what we appear. Because we're so appearance trained. The car. The job. The clothes. The house. We look at faces. Well, they just seem to be uninterested. Like I say, I have been amazed. God proven me wrong so many times. So that guy's the last guy that's going to come to church. And they come. What? Well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Not to me. But to God, it makes perfect sense. There's a follower deep inside everyone. Over 60% of those that, have, that attend church right now, 60%, over 60% say it's because someone invited them. I ask you this morning just to think about the idea that right now, more than ever, I want you to think about this idea that people are looking for something. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. You shouldn't be surprised by something like this. Because I tell you, I'm blown away. There's times I, I'm like, wow, uh, people are ready to walk. Away from what their old life. And I shouldn't be surprised by this because how many of us here with COVID and inflation and with, with the tension in the world find some unrest and uneasiness? And we're following Christ and there's this uneasiness. Imagine what somebody's going through that has no spiritual values whatsoever or very few spiritual values. They're going, they're, they're uneasy, they're unsettled and they're unhappy. And all it takes is someone to speak up. They're waiting for someone to invite them to hear of Jesus. They're looking for a sign. They're wanting some peace. Listen, they're looking for a sign. What do you mean a sign? I'm not talking about, oh, look, the clouds parted and the sun shined through. No, they're looking for some direction. And where does it come from? It comes from those who speak up who will speak up and give someone a little nudge. Jesus tells a story about um, a master whose house is ready for a big banquet. You know the story. He says, everybody, I want you, all his servants, go out and, and uh, invite everyone. It's ready. I want my house full. I want you to preface something here. Notice the servants didn't come up with this suggestion. It was the master. What I'm about to tell you is not the preacher wanting the house full. Frankly, a full house would scare me. More responsibility. The master wants the house full. The master wants the house full. He says, I want you to go out in the country lanes behind the hedges and urge people you find to come. 
so that the house will be full. All he needs from you and I is the master wants, if he, if he wants people and he wants even despicable people, all we have to do is just urge, speak up. Because, why? Because there's a follower deep inside. I guarantee you, there's a follower deep inside everybody. How do I know that? Because down deep inside, there's a follower in me. And you know it's true about you. And did you play this game when you first were met? I acted like I wasn't interested. I acted like what Denise was saying and friends were saying to me didn't, didn't have any impact on me whatsoever. And inside, I was going, oh my, oh my. Made me think. Lay my head down before I go to bed and go, Oh my, what am I going to do about that? And I wouldn't have had that thought unless someone had spoken and urged me. Just give me a nudge. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. He says, because we know this intimidating and awe Really, the, the, the idea of fear here is this awesome, awe-filled responsibility God's giving me. You're giving me this responsibility, Lord. Are you sure you got the right guy? Wow. Since I know this, Paul says, since we know this, we work hard to persuade. You know, it takes hard work to push. Am I right about that? It takes effort to push something. It takes harder work to persuade. We can push people around. It takes work to do that. Can I tell you it takes more work to persuade because we have to be patient and kind because we hear stuff that's crazy. We hear stuff we don't agree with. Church, the world has no place to go to talk about how they really feel without those kinds of reactions. The church needs to be the place where people can say, I'm this, I'm this, I do this, I'm guilty of this. And nobody goes crazy over it and goes, okay, how can I help you? I have never, I have never been effective when I've blown my top. Never. The Bible says that a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And even though I know that, I still try it. And it never has worked. No, we appeal to the follower deep inside when we begin to persuade. See, your words, my words. I've had people tell me, Tim, your words are really powerful. You need to be careful what you say. And I've listened half the time. I wish I'd listened more. It's true. But my words are not the only powerful words in this room right now. You carry with you very powerful words as well. The Bible says that the, the words have the power of life and death. And here in Proverbs it says the words of the wicked are a deadly ambush. They're talking about Facebook before it ever was around. But is that true? The wicked? It's a deadly ambush? When the wicked speak? Do you feel great after the wicked are talking? I don't. I feel shot at, beat up, tired, wounded. But look what the Bible says here. But the words of decent people rescue. Well, church, they don't rescue anyone when they're unspoken. You don't have to have a big... I listened, I listened, I went to Rolla, went to a Little Prairie Bible board meeting, and I... What do you do, Tim, when you're driving down there? Well, I watch Dragnet a little bit. Dun, 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 dun. 
You know, I learned something from Dragnet. Police are mean back in the 60s. What are you doing smoking pot? (laughs) You can't do that today, Joe. Joe Friday, you know, you can't do that. I watched a little bit of that. But then I watched this young fella talking about Matthew. And he spent 30, 40 minutes talking about how do we know Matthew and Levi is the same guy? You listened to that, Tim? I actually did. I thought, why is that? A topic. Apparently, there are people that have questions like that. And I thought, hey, just because I think it's goofy doesn't mean it's a goofy question. And I, I learned from this young fellow. And what I, I'm trying to say is anything I can learn. Oh, man, I'm going to say this, too. I got to say church the we we're learning. I've had I've heard this. I've said it myself. We say things like, man, thank you for that sermon. You've given me some ammunition. What's that mean? That's what it means. And people aren't going to respond to that. No, it's when I can, when I'm patient and persuade. I call it ver- verbal jujitsu. Or you sneak up. Not to kill them, but to help them. See, here's what I want to say to you before I move on to this last point. There is a follower right now that God is having you cross paths with that is covered with money. Covered with success. Covered with good looks. Covered with popularity. And if you can look past that, there's a follower inside there. I know many of you here would say we don't believe in profiling. And we tend to imply a racist concern there. Right? But there's lots of profiling going on that has nothing to do with skin, folks. As Christians, we profile these people and we put them in these categories and there's a follower inside them. And I, I, I'm working on it as well. I'm working on this because I'm going, you know, just because that person's got a crazy lame brain notion doesn't mean they're unreachable. But I've got to be able to speak up and nudge them. They need a little nudge. Here's the third principle I learned from Matthew. God wants everyone to hear the gospel. He wants everybody to hear the gospel. I learned this from Matthew. You know, it's, it's interesting, this, this idea of, of, of Jesus calling Matthew as he's at the tax collector's booth. If you want some scripture about evangelism in the workplace, there it is. It's okay to speak up in the workplace. Because he walks right up and interrupts things. And I thought I got to thinking about this. Why would Jesus speak up in the workplace like that? Because most folks, well, most people make a decision about Christ outside of this building. They usually do it where they are. And I noticed something else that that evangelism begins outside the building. 
And Matthew just wants, wants people to hear what Jesus teaches. Look at this here in Luke 5. Because the very first thing Matthew does is he invites his friends to his home. You think, well, what kind of friends does a despised, despicable person in the community have? Other despised and despicable people. Look what it says here. After this, Jesus went out and saw the tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus. I would like you to circle that. He held a great banquet for who? For Jesus. For himself? For Jesus. And it was in his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. He uses his home. He uses his resources. And he does it for more than pleasure. He does it for Jesus. Why do we have events here at church? It's for Jesus. Why would you do something in your home and invite your friends to... For Jesus. That's a, better, that's a greater purpose, see? For Jesus. And see, Matthew buys in. He, he financially invests in this. And everything he does, catch this, everything he's doing now, is this a new way. It's an adjustment with the Master and His desires in mind. And look what Matthew again writes about himself. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Can I ask you, when's the last time you've invited a tax collector or sinner to your house? Church members don't count. I mean, theaters and stadiums and parks are filling up. Have you noticed that? I went, I went to go watch Top Gun, every seat full. I go out to the park to watch my grandchildren playing t-ball or baseball, and the parks are full of people. People are ready to go somewhere again. Why don't we nudge them to go to church or go to a small group or go to our home? Because that's what Matthew's doing here. And he encur- you know, listen, I just want you to know this morning, Matthew's encouraging you and I to use these resources that God has blessed us with to reach people. You know, this uh, um, next month we're going to have a Bring Your Neighbor Day. We're going to have we're going to have a just our regular service, but we're going to we're asking on that particular day. Let's work a little harder, and I think it's August the seventh. Let's bring our bring our friends, bring a neighbor. I know in September, uh, the tenth and eleventh, we got Stephen Gregg coming. We're going to talk about just the search for truth, how important it is to know the truth, but also how to convey and communicate truth. How do we get there? How do we help our friends know the truth? The world is hungry right now for, for truth. These are all opportunities to invite people to. Well, we invite people to, uh, whether it be VBS, which is coming up in just two weeks. Why? So we can have a full building? No. It's an opportunity for Jesus to teach a family. That's the first thing I noticed about him. He says he wants to hear the gospel. But there's something else I noticed about Matthew that I found quite, it's just interesting for me, I guess, and that is that he writes and records his story. He wants his story. He wants the, what Jesus taught. He wants to make sure the future hears it. So he takes his pen, he uses so much for facts and figures, and he starts writing down everything Jesus is teaching. We would not have the Beatitudes if it weren't for Matthew. He's writing all these details down. And he's using the gifts and, and, 
and abilities that he has to find creative ways to pass on. And I'm so glad we have the Gospel of Matthew, that Matthew would do this. I don't know about you, but I, do you want to, do you want people to hear the good news after you're gone? What can you do about that personally? You see, all of us here, I know me, I have handwritten letters. I have uh, notes. I even got pictures of from my grandkids, from family members. I have a Bible in my library that belonged to a, a, a two, three generations ago, a preacher in our in our family. I got it out the other day and I'm looking through it and he's made notations and I take my Bible and put it alongside it and it's do-do-do-do weird. He's highlighting the same places and almost sometimes the same notation or observations. And here he has been dead for, gosh, generations and he's speaking to me because he's written a note, a notation in his Bible and I happen to have it. Some of you here... I'm not a very good writer. Well, I'm not saying you write a book, but why not write some things, some notations? I have handwritten letters from my mother. I have a few notes from my father. I wish I'd have, and guess, listen, as a, as a kid, I wish I had more. And while you're alive, why not write some special notes? I have a letter I've written to both my sons the day they were born, and they get them when I die about my dreams for them. I'm saying, I'm appealing to you, you, if you're gifted as a writer, write. If you're gifted as a talker, video, do some videos. If you're gifted as a drawer or an artistic, make something that would encourage the next generation. Do something with those gifts and talents. Because there's a, why? Because Jesus wants the despicable. I know of, I know of a person who found a church invitation in a gutter, street gutter, and came to church because of it. Changed their life. Why would I do this things like because Jesus wants the despicable. He values them and he wants to use you to help others hear it because there's a follower way down deep inside of everyone. Every stranger, every every family member, every crusty old person, every new young person. I don't care if they've got, you know, hardware all over the place and their hair looks like it's been blown up. There's a follower down deep inside that person. And I don't care if they're old and crusty and they smell funny and they tell old jokes and their teeth fall out. They have a follower inside them. And they need you and I to speak up. So what can we learn today from Matthew? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing right now, Jesus appeals to the follower inside you and He wants you to follow Him. He knows your heart. He sees what... Listen, what I love about our church is the heart of this church. And Jesus knows your heart better than I do. And He is so, so impressed. And He knows if He calls you, you will follow He knows that. He wants you to speak up and nudge others. He wants you to get rid of your despicable list. 
or if you're going to have one, let it be the list of people you're going to nudge. I remember years ago, years ago, two fellows came out to my house. I wasn't a Christian. Denise had been studying with me, wasn't getting anywhere, she thought. Always crying in Mike Napier's office, you know. Well, I don't know what to do. I don't think he's ever going to get it. And and she has no idea what's going on. Well, they send a couple of, I call them street toughs. They weren't really street toughs. A couple of young guys my age. They drive eight, ten miles from Mount Carmel to my house. Sixteen miles to my house. And they they say this. They knock on the door. And I know, I've seen them from church. What are you guys doing out here? Oh, we were in the neighborhood. Thought we'd stop by. That's what they said. They didn't, they didn't even know what they were saying. They, didn't know what to, they weren't saying the right stuff. I'm going, I know why you're out here. You're trying to convert me. I know what you're up to. Inside, I'm going, oh gosh, these guys, what are they doing? And we're talking. We just want you to know, Tim, we really appreciate you. And thanks for coming. Anything we can do for you? And these guys were not sharp. They didn't have it all together. They were, they were doing some stuff that nobody knew anything about. But yet, just for that moment, they're going, you know, as imperfect as they are, Tim, we just want to nudge you a little bit. I close the door. I sit down. My mom's sitting there. Who were that? Who were they? Oh, they're a couple of guys. Are they trying to convert you? Yeah, ma, they're trying. But they're not getting anywhere. Inside, I'm going, oh, man. I could not sleep. What would make two fellas that hardly know me drive 16 miles out of their way just to encourage me? Oh, it didn't have any impact on me. Oh, then why am I talking about it? It did. Those little nudges. They didn't study the Bible with me. They didn't open up the Bible with me. They didn't talk a lot about Jesus. They just said a few things and off they went. And I, they go down the road probably going, thank God that's over. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if they only knew what they'd just begun. It got me thinking again. Then I get with Denise and we open up the Bible and I've got these two guys now and Denise sharing the gospel with me. And all they did was say, hey, we really appreciate you coming to church. If there's anything we can do for you. A little nudge. They had a little more faith than fear and a little more love than selfishness. And because of that, I'm a little closer to God today. Because of those two fellows. See, everybody needs to hear the good news, church. Everybody. Will they hear it from you and I? What will they hear from you and I in the next several weeks? Matthew is so encouraging. He's saying, oh, please speak up. Because when you do, you may change someone just like me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson today. Thank you for the encouraging thoughts that Matthew gave us. Lord, I know that some of us here, we're, we're scared of our own shadow. I've put myself in that category many times. It's hard to speak up about Jesus, especially nowadays. Well, Lord, guard us against being preachy. Help us to be just persuading and persuade people. Give us the patience and the love. Give us the love over our own, our love of ourselves, the faith over our fear to speak to someone, to encourage someone to know that you want them. That you want them. And you want them to follow. Father, Father, I know some of us here, we struggle sometimes following. 
But Father, we pray that we'll listen to your call again and get up and leave everything that we have on our plate today and make sure that we follow you. This is what we ask, Father. We promise to glorify you this week. We promise to make you proud. And we offer up this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.